Well, there's a saying, perhaps you're aware of it or you've heard of it. They say that there are no atheists in foxholes. The saying expresses the sudden turn in religious attitudes of otherwise irreligious soldiers in the heat of battle. So understand, when a soldier is in danger, even if he isn't normally religious, oftentimes he will pray for help. And this isn't true just for those in war, it's true for us as well. Whenever we come to the end of ourselves, we often turn to God in prayer. When we or a loved one is sick and in the hospital, we pray. When we are in need of food or perhaps a home or money or a car or whatever else it might be, we pray. When there's conflict in our homes that we cannot resolve by ourselves, we pray. Even if you're in school and you have a difficult test coming up, we pray. Whatever the trial might be that we face, when we realize that we lack the strength to solve that trial or to to meet whatever the requirement is, we turn to God and help, and that's what we do in prayer. But what do we do when life is good? When the trials are over and when life is just easy sailing, are we steadfast in prayer or perhaps... Do our prayers stop? Our text this morning has one command, and it's this. Paul calls us and the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer. I recently heard one pastor say, if you want to humble a minister, ask him how his prayer life is. And at that, I was both convicted and relieved. Convicted because... My prayer life is probably not steadfast as much as I would like to say it is and relieved that no one was asking me in that moment how my prayer life was. And then I came to this text where I'm to preach to you all what God's word says, that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. And so once again, I feel convicted of my own sporadic prayer life. So understand, I am preaching not as one who is a master by any means of steadfast prayer, but as one who is under the word of God and convicted even in my own sporadic prayers. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure there are many here who cannot be told to continue in steadfast prayer when some of us perhaps don't hardly pray at all. So there might not be any atheists in foxholes, But if our lack of prayer is any correlation with our faith in our God who is able to save, then we might dare to ask if this church is full of atheists, or at the very least, perhaps people with very little faith. Now, I want to clarify one thing. All of us could say that we could pray more. If you got eight hours of sleep last night, you could say, well, I could have slept eight hours and woken up another hour early and prayed for an extra hour in the morning. And if you did that, you could also say that you got seven hours of sleep, but you could have gotten six hours of sleep instead and woken up earlier to pray for even that extra hour all the more. We could all say that we could pray more, and yet that's not my aim this morning. My aim isn't just to put a heavy burden on your shoulders to say, you need to pray 
Instead, I would rather show you the goodness of God so that we could want and desire to go to him in prayer all the more. I want us to see the God to whom we have access to through prayer so that we would not be able to even go a day without saying and experiencing communion with God and prayer. And so this morning, I have four reasons why we ought to be steadfast in prayer. Our our text is simple enough this morning. Paul tells us that we are to be steadfast in prayer. Verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then this is how we're to do so, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then the following two verses, Paul continues by asking the Colossians to pray for him. He says it this way, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And so from just these three verses, I see at least four reasons that should compel us to be steadfast in prayer. So let's take them one at a time. First, let's consider what is meant when Paul says that we are to pray being, being watchful. That word watchful means that we are awake, alert, on guard, like one who is keeping watch in the night. This word watchful is the very same word that Jesus gave to his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane when he told them to watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so with this in mind, we can perceive perhaps why it is that we are to be watchful. Because there are dangers, there are temptations that surround us, and our flesh is weak. And so all the more, we ought to pray and not fall asleep. If we would simply recognize the constant dangers all around us, and not just the constant dangers, but also our, our God who is present and near to us and that we have access to through prayer, then we would have no problem at all being steadfast in prayer. And so first, we should be steadfast in prayer because you always need God's help. Every single one of us always needs help from God. We might wonder, well, are we really in danger Unlike soldiers and foxholes, we aren't under constant fire from our enemy. So we might think. But we need to recognize this. There is a battle. There is a war that is going on. And it's not a a battle against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle that is going on against sin and against Satan. Ephesians has a lot of parallels with Colossians, the letter that we're in, Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9 is a direct parallel to the text that we've been going through over the last few weeks. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9 has instructions for the household, just as we saw in Colossians. But look what directly follows Paul's instructions to the bondservants and masters in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, he says this, finally, Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So understand, there's a, there's a war going on. And if it wasn't already clear, the connection with our being steadfast and watchful in prayer, the connection is made abundantly clear later on in that same passage in Ephesians, starting in verse 18. He says this to them. He says, they are to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, he said, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So hopefully you see the connection between Ephesians and between our text here in Colossians. We're to be steadfast in prayer. We are to be watchful in our prayer because there is a battle. And we are in the middle of a battlefield. And the battle is far more dangerous than a battle where soldiers are in the foxholes. There is a danger, not of death, physical death, but an eternal death for those who do not engage in this warfare in the, the means that God has given us. Jesus says it this way. If you don't think it's dangerous, he said, do not fear those who, who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's connect the dots here. What's going on? Is Paul just tacking on this last command to pray after all the instructions that he's given throughout Colossians 3? He doesn't know how else to end the letter, so he's going to say, well, we should pray. No, not at all. Remember, chapter 3, he's given us all these instructions for the Christian life. And these instructions are not a matter of outward appearances. These are not a matter of man-made rules and regulations, things that we can somehow just muster up in the strength of our own might. Paul's instructions are not a matter of the outside of a man, but it's a matter of the heart. And Paul wants us to see this. He wants us to see that only God can change the heart. We've been talking about this time and time and time again. Let's remind ourselves of it one more time. In Colossians 3.8, we're told to put away anger. Can you really do that? You might be able to bite your tongue have a little bit of self-control. But how about that time when though you do not say a word, your heart is racing and seething inside because of the anger that boils inside of your heart? How do you put away anger apart from God? Or if we're to put on love, like we saw in Colossians 3.14, how, how do you do that? You can't. I cannot do this apart from God. We cannot do this apart from him, which means we cannot do this apart from prayer. Understand, I am not a strong Christian, and neither are you, at least not in your own strength. But we are weak Christians who have a strong God, and he can raise the dead. And if he can do that, then he can even raise this dead heart back to life. And since only he can do that, we ought to all the more be steadfast in prayer. And only then, when we're steadfast in prayer, might it be said that we are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You see, we are weak, but God is strong. And so we pray. This is why we pray, because as we've been seeing throughout Colossians, Jesus Christ, he is 
fully sufficient. He is supreme over all rule and all authority. And so we go to him because he calls us to himself. And yet all the same, not many of us are steadfast in prayer. And why is it that we do not pray? Perhaps it's because we don't think we're in danger. And the reason we don't think we're in danger is because we are not watching. But instead, we, like the disciples, are asleep. What is it in our life that's keeping us from watching? Or to put it another way, what is causing us to be so sleepy in this Christian life? Perhaps now more than ever, it's because we're so easily entertained. There are so many things vying for our attention and our affections. Meaningless things, cheap things, fleeting things. Like a football game that's going to happen today. And if it's not football, perhaps it's the endless scroll of the internet. And if it's not social media or anything there, perhaps it's the TV that we turn on and at any moment we can watch hours and hours and hours of TV. There are so many distractions, so many entertainments, so many things that are, are lovely in one sense and yet not lovely the way Christ is lovely. In Greek mythology, you, you might have heard of the sirens those voices that would sing to lure sailors toward themselves, but as they lured them with these beautiful songs, the sailors went to their very death. So it is in our age. We have entertainments that are keeping us distracted, so much so that we are not watchful in prayer. Perhaps today more than ever, we are in danger of being entertained to death. Furthermore, there are others who say, it's not entertainment that keep me from prayer. I have just so many obligations and things that are, are vying for my attention. Important things like work. Important things like a family that's make, keeping me so busy. And neither of these things can be neglected. It's true. These are important. These are not meaningless. And yet all the same, we would do well to consider the importance of prayer even to the Lord Jesus Christ himself fully God. And if anyone could say they had an important task, it was him. And yet the importance of his ministry did not keep him from prayer. But instead, Mark 1.35 tells us that Jesus, he rose early in the morning while it was still dark and departed, and he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If prayer was important for Jesus, how much more than for us who are weak? And not only then, but even in his, all the, the busyness of ministry, Matthew 14 tells us that he dismissed the crowds so that he could get away by himself to pray. And so if you're busy with work, learn from Jesus. Learn how to rise early in the morning so that you might be able to be alone for just a few minutes, if not an hour or more, to be with the Lord in prayer. And if work is keeping you so busy, understand there is one thing more important than your work, and that is to enjoy your time with your God who has redeemed you and to draw from him the strength that he supplies. And it wasn't just Jesus. Even you could take the, the insanity of what was happening in the book of Acts. 
Thousands were being added to the church each day and conflict was increasing within the church. But what did the apostles do? Did they, did they slack in prayer because of the demands of ministry? No. Acts 6.4 tells us that the, the apostles devoted themselves all the more to prayer. Perhaps the busiest of all of us is those moms who have a 24-7 job of watching kids and if that's how you feel and you wonder how in the world can you get away for just a moment of prayer, take Susanna Wesley as an example. She had more than a handful of kids to look after, but this did not keep her from her God. But instead what she would do is she would make a tent with her apron and put it over her head and she taught her kids that when, when the apron's on, when she's in her tent, she is with her God. So do not bug her, do not bother her, but instead leave her to pray. We need to be watchful in prayer because our very lives depend on it. Let's continue. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This is surprising after he just said to be watchful. I might expect it to say, be watchful with worry. After all, there's dangers all around us. All this sin that I, I can't do anything about. I'm so anxious about it. Not sure if it's enough. But he doesn't say to be watchful with worry. He says be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Why? Because God, he is faithful to help. Understand, prayer should always be accompanied with praise. We often only pray when our life is falling apart. But if we only pray in times when we actually recognize our trouble, then we will not be steadfast in prayer. But prayer is not a time of, of grumbling against God. It's true, he invites us to bring our requests to him, all the troubles that we might have. But we should also be continually calling to memory all of his kindness that he has given towards us in Christ so that we might be thankful, so that we might offer praise in our prayers. We can learn much about prayer by just simply praying through the book of Psalms. And there you will find that God's people don't just pray when they're in trouble. There are times when they pray just to say, thank you. Just to say, Lord, you are amazing. We have so many reasons to, to thank God today, don't we? For the clothes we're wearing, for the life even now that we are living even though we're able to gather here in this place and worship him and hear his word without fear of, of persecution is a gift from God. But if you lack the common gifts of grace that others might enjoy, understand even you have a reason to give thanks if you are in Christ. First of all, if, if you lack all these other goods, but you have God, understand this. You can go to him who is powerful and present to save. Psalm 46 says it this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Notice the, the, the imagery here, both strong as a refuge, but also our present help. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, we were to pray like this. We're to pray, our Father in heaven, Understand what that means. He is both in heaven, high and lifted up above all rule and authority. He is God, but he is also our Father who is near to his children, who we are. 
So if you don't think God is willing to save you or able to save you from your present trouble, understand, you just simply need to, to remind yourself of the gospel. Understand who your father is and what he has done to unite you to himself. Romans 8.32, Paul says it this way, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As a, as a father, I can't fathom why a dad would ever give up his son. And yet this is what Paul is saying God did. He did not spare his son, the most precious thing he has, the most precious person to him, but instead he gave us his son. And if he gave us what is most precious, the logic follows, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is who our Heavenly Father is. He is the giver of gifts. He is the giver of His Son. And if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If you are a Christian, then you have access to God, the fullness of Him, and if he is yours, understand, you lack nothing. You might not have a nice home. You might not be able to go on a nice vacation. But if, if God is yours, then you have something far better. The psalmist said it this way. He said, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And we have something far greater than the psalmist here. For we do not need to go to God through the courts of a temple being restricted and unable to enter into the Holy of Holies for God is with us. And not only that, we have far more than just a day in his courts, but we have the very presence of God who will never leave us or forsake us. Through Christ, we have direct access to God the Father. And so let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You might not have wealth here on earth or a status worth boasting in, but guess what? If you have Christ, you have something far greater. Paul said it in Philippians 3, 7 and following, but whatever gain I had, I counted it all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when we're faced with death, we understand this, right? We understand that when we're faced with death, all of a sudden, all our earthly goods don't matter. The careers we built, the houses we owned, the cars we possessed, the savings, all of it means nothing when we are faced with death. Because all we want to do in that moment is live. Well, we need to understand that's what sin is. It is a death sentence. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's who we have we have Christ and with him eternal life. If you are a Christian, you are suffering the loss of everything, maybe even your own health, your own life, 
is fading before you. Even you have a reason, though, today to give thanks. For you have the Spirit of God, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So as Paul said in Philippians 4, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ, you have every reason then to be steadfast in prayer because you have so much to be thankful for. And if being watchful and thankful weren't already enough reasons for us to be steadfast in prayer, Paul lays another reason why we can continue in prayer. Starting in verses three and four, he said this, at the same time, pray also for us. I'm gonna stop right there. We're gonna get into the prayer request in just a moment. But for now, I want us to consider the implications of what Paul is doing. Paul is asking the church to pray for him because others need your prayers and God's help. That's number three. The third reason we should be steadfast in prayer is because others need your prayers and God's help. Or as Paul puts it again in Ephesians 6, verse 18 and following, he says to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me. You see, there are many of us who who perhaps we don't feel the strain of having any kind of physical needs that need to be met. And so we, we might not have things to pray for there, but the same cannot be true of your, said of your brothers and sisters. Which to get a little bit practical here, means we're going to have to overcome some barriers. Some of us hardly know the names of people, let alone the needs of people in your church. So we're going to need to get to know each other This might mean that you come a little bit earlier to church and start talking with people or instead of running out of the church so quickly as soon as the benediction is given, you stick around and talk to one another and see if there's any way that you might be praying for your brothers and sisters. Perhaps this means you, for once, get in a community group where you are known and where where you know others and you can be praying for the needs of those who who are in your group, who you get to know in a more intimate way than here on Sunday mornings. I even hear that there are some people here who invite others to to home, to their home after church, and they share a meal with them so that they might get to know people in the church. There's so many ways that we might get to know each other and get to know the needs of each other so that we might be constant in prayer for one another. But also, we can do this even within our own homes. Husbands asking their wives, how can I pray for you? Wives asking their husbands the same questions. Parents to kids and kids to parents. And we also need to learn to ask for prayer. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I need prayer, so pray for me. And some of us, because of perhaps pride or privacy or whatever other reason, keeps us from asking for prayer. And it should go without saying that when someone does ask for prayer... There's nothing wrong with a praying emoji. But if we're just sending the praying emoji and not praying, there's something really wrong with that. So pray for those people who you know have needs. Be steadfast in prayer. Continue in it. Don't give up. 
John Piper has helped me in this with thinking how I can pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he, he talks about praying through concentric circles. That is, you pray for those who are nearest to you and you work your way outside of that circle. And so what that looks like for me is I, I pray for myself because I'm the most needy sinner that I know. But I don't stop there. Most of our prayers stop after we pray for our needs. We move out from there and we start to pray for those in our homes. And so for me, that looks like praying for my wife, Sarah, and our three kids, Peter, Lydia, and even Hallie, who a lot of you are like, who's Hallie when I mention her name? She's not born yet, but I still pray for her. And I move out beyond there and I start praying for those at Living Water Church, like those in my community group and the elders and the staff. And I pray for the, the particular needs here within the church that I'm aware of. And then outside of there, I move further out and I start praying for other Christians outside of our church. I pray for our missionaries. And I pray for other churches in the area as we make a regular habit of doing here on Sunday mornings. And we even move outside of there and we might pray for what's going on in the world, not even in the church, but in the world around us. This might be just a helpful way that you consider how you might be praying for the needs of others. But in any way, we should be steadfast in prayer because your brothers and sisters need your prayer. Now let's consider what Paul's prayer request is. Look again at verses three and four. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul here has two requests. Not just one request. There's two requests about the same things. He he wants the word to go forth. And there are two things that are keeping the word from going forth. One is his imprisonment. Literally, he is behind bars and he wants there to be an open door for the word. Not that he himself would be delivered from prison, but that the word would be unchained. And the second request, more close to him, is that he would make it clear himself that the mystery of Christ would be unfolded with clarity so that people would have an understanding of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus. And so we should be steadfast in prayer finally because we need God's word. I want us to consider ever so briefly the implications of Paul's prayer requests here. If anyone in my thinking wouldn't need prayer for preaching, it was Paul. After all, he was the apostle who had encountered the risen Jesus and had been commissioned by Christ and had insights into the mystery of God that none of us in here have. And so if anyone didn't need prayer to this end, I would think it would be him. After all, he was the one who has penned the majority of the New Testament. But these are the obstacles. He's in prison. And furthermore, the gospel needs to be presented clearly. And so he asks the church to pray for him. We need to understand this. Paul's a human. Yes, he's an apostle carried along by the Holy Spirit to pen God-breathed words. And yet a human nonetheless. And as a human, he is weak. In Ephesians, he even asks the church to pray for him that he would have boldness in the midst of his persecution. And even here, now he's praying that his words would be made clear as he ought to speak. So if the apostle 
Paul needed prayer for his preaching. Well, then how much more then do your pastors here need your prayer? And yes, I am not above asking for your prayer. In fact, I love our church. I get texts throughout the week from people who say they're praying and our prayer team always tells me that they're praying for me before the service even begins. And I am so thankful for that. But for those who do not pray for me or perhaps Tate, I want you to know something about your pastors here and the rest of the elders for that matter too. We are weak. We are mere men with weaknesses that sometimes keep us from declaring the word of God as we ought. I talked with Tate this morning. He's not here right now, but I asked him if I could share this because between him and me, we always talk about the, the weaknesses that we are painfully aware of as preachers. I have dozens and dozens of weaknesses that I could share with you, but perhaps one of the great, greatest weaknesses that I have, I mean, you can tell that sometimes I even have a hard time speaking, but I'm also terrified of public speaking. I know it's ironic, and a lot of people are like, well, we're all scared of public speaking, Josh. But you know what? Like, even as a kid, I would get up for piano recitals. I share this because I was so afraid. Even in piano recitals, I would have the whole song memorized. And my hands would be shaking so much that my hands couldn't even hit the black keys. They would fall off the black keys and hit the white keys. I was terrified to get up in front of people to play a recital, let alone to get up and talk. I am a weak, weak man. And yet I am not too ashamed to talk about my weaknesses. In fact, I'm confident to be able to talk about those because most of God's messengers, even throughout the scriptures, had many weaknesses of their own. And to that end, the Lord said to Paul, who himself was a weak man, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. I want you to understand, I am, I am a weak man. If anything good comes from a sermon that I've ever preached, it's owing to the fact that God has used me. Not because I have anything wise to say in and of myself. So pray for me. Pray for your elders. And not just for us, but all the other various ways in which the word is given to, your, given to you all, to God's people. Pray for the ministry of the word in community groups. And men's and women's and kids and youth ministry, young adults ministry, and all the various ways in which the word is going forth. Pray that the word would go forth from the mouth of God's people in such a way that it is clear and understandable. But it's not just here at Living Water Church that we can pray for the word. We're to also pray for the word for those of our missionaries. Jesus taught us to pray about it. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. So we pray for our missionaries and not just the ones that are currently working in the mission field, but we even pray for the ones who have yet to enter into this work because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And if there are going to be more missionaries, it is because God is going to raise them up so that his people would be saved. So pray for the ministry of the word here at our church. Pray for the ministry of the word in all kinds of ministries, even outside of our church. But not only there, pray for the ministry of the word that you should be partaking of even in your own Bible reading. 
Oftentimes we treat our Bible reading like this. We just gloss through it. Like we have a chapter or two or three to read a day. And so we get through it. And by the end of it, we're like, okay, check that off my box, close my Bible, and I'm going to move on with my day. And all the while, we are uninspired, having not seen God, having not beheld his glory, having not met him in a way that only he can do. So I often pray this prayer even in my own life. Comes from Psalm 119, verse 18. It says this Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. So, even in your own Bible reading, ask the Lord to open your eyes so that you might see what you would otherwise not be able to see if He would not open your eyes to see the glory of Him in Christ Jesus. Understand, we have a real enemy, and that enemy will do anything He can to block the Word, to blind us from the Word. And so we pray because we are weak, but God is strong. Those who believe in Jesus Christ have every reason to be steadfast in prayer. There are far more reasons than what we just covered today, but certainly we do it, if anything, because we know our weakness. We know that we have no strength in ourselves to live the life that we are called to live. And so we pray because we need God and that's what Christ died for. He, cried, he, he died so that we would be united with him, so that his strength and his power would be, be accessible to us. He does dwell with us after all. And God is our Father who we are invited to go to in prayer. And so let us enjoy what we have in him by being steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To that end, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you have given us prayer so that even in our weakness, we can go to you, our stronghold, our very present help in our time of need. And so even now, we have so many needs, whether they be physical or even for all of us, the spiritual war that goes on. Lord, teach us to come to you in prayer constantly, not to put it off, not to come to you even in a way in which we would neglect it because we don't know what to say, but Lord, teach us to come to you as children who cry out, Abba, Father. And so we come to you now thankful for the work of Christ, thankful that you have made us your own, thankful that you have given us access to you, not through priests, not through temples, not through sacrifices, but through Christ. And so to that end, help for us to, to all the more boast in our weakness and draw near to you through prayer so that you would be glorified in our life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.